We're speaking with Stephen Van Zandt, legendary guitar player and member of Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band, an accomplished actor known for his role as Tony Soprano's right-hand lieutenant Silvio Dante on the HBO series The Sopranos, host of the nationally syndicated radio program Little Steven's Underground Garage, and the music supervisor for the film Not Fade Away. Welcome, Stephen. How you doing? Good. Before we discuss the music, let's give the listeners some background about the film itself. When and where is it set, and what's the basic storyline? Well, um, it's set in New Jersey, of all places. Uh, the time uh, is, is about 62 to 68 or so. The, the film runs uh, in that period. And, uh, you know, it's a bit... A bit of an autobiographical story, not not entirely, but but uh, David Chase was a drummer in a band, and uh, uh, you know uh, that, well, that that was his passion growing up, um, rock and roll. I mean, uh, it is about a band who who uh, you know the the it's a sort of behind the scenes of of a, of, a, of an early rock band. You know, that, if I could sum it up that way. Um, you know, the way David takes you behind the scenes, that's his, that's kind of his thing, I guess, you know, like with Sopranos, you know, kind of, you know, the inner workings of the mob or, you know, getting to the household, you know, behind, you know, the guy behind the guy, usually the family behind the guy. Similar thing here, you know, where where, you, where he takes you behind in, in, into places that you don't normally go and uh, gives you a picture of the 60s that you don't usually get, you know. Right. So you mentioned David Chase. Uh, the Not Fade Away brings you back to working with David, and um, he's obviously the creative force behind The Sopranos. Uh, so tell us a bit about your relationship with him and why you guys work so well together and how much influence he may have had in the in the soundtrack for uh, for Not Fade Away. Oh, completely. I mean, yeah. I mean, he, he um, you know, he, his amazing use of music in The Sopranos, first of all, um, is what helped uh, everybody when, when when it came time to license this, this absurd licensing job we had to do for this. It was really very helpful that everybody already trusted him and respected him because of his use of, of music in, in his Sopranos. Uh, he's a huge, huge fan, and and, uh, and that was the basis of our our friendship immediately. Uh, you know, talking talking music, and uh, he talked about this film for a long time. You know, it was sort of a, a passion project, and uh, um, so that was, you know, the basis of the friendship was, uh, I mean, he wanted me to be in the show. Um, he was the one who basically thought I could become an actor, you know, because of the, the way I think the relationship um, was communicated from the E Street Band. Uh, we were kind of the... Rat Pack of rock and roll, you know, with myself in the Dean Martin role, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and Clarence, uh, a very inflated uh, uh, Sammy Davis. <laughs> um, uh, so we 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 were never a, a, a sort of a faceless, you know, backup band. You know, we were always had a, a lot of personality, and I think he sensed from that, I, I guess, that that he felt like I was already an actor, uh, and 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 so. You know, it was, it was due to him that that I became an actor, and and uh, and you know now, uh, you know, I got a new TV show as well uh, in, called Lilyhammer. I'm I'm doing it in Norway, uh, and uh, you know, it's, it's due to him. And, and anyway, the the music part of it was was um, 
all him as far as you know we we discuss all the songs but in the end he picked all the songs that are in it he picked what songs the band should do you know and i was there just for for feedback you know i i, I um had a little more experience uh when it came to some of the inner workings of what happens with a band uh even though he was in one you know he didn't really need much help so i was there you know just as a as a uh somebody to bounce ideas off of and uh, uh, like that, you know? Right. So when it's done right, music has the power in a film to actually kind of be a central character. Do you think that that, that was accomplished in Not Fade Away? Is the music like oh, almost a character itself? Without a doubt. Um, absolutely. I mean, the whole thing, the reason he did the film is, is the music, you know? Um, the interesting relationships between the characters uh is is just pretty much real life and, and very very accurate as to relationships for instance between the kid and his father you know jimmy gandolfini is playing all of our fathers from the 60s you, you know that's just how it was it was mm -hmm. the biggest it was called the generation gap and it really was that uh the biggest in history and maybe the biggest it will ever be uh where an entire generation of parents could no longer relate to their children. You know, it's very rare that that happens in history. Uh, you know, like I say, I don't think it may, maybe never quite as dramatic as that as that moment. Uh, so um, that is something David just does automatically. He has that wonderful sense of, of of writing about relationships and family and all that. I don't think anybody's ever been better than him at that. But the real reason he did it was the music. You know, the real, the, the, uh, that was the bottom line. You know, the 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 uh, his reason for for doing the thing was to just have a place where he could communicate all these great songs to another to another generation and have that be in a film and that's forever, you know. And as well as the the band itself, uh, which was basically a cover band, you know. Right. They 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 end up. Well, I don't want to ruin the story for everybody, but but the, the, by the end of the film, they write they write one song, and, right, right, and, uh, right. You know, but they're evolving as you as, through through the film, uh, and that music uh, represented the typical band at that time what they were doing, which was essentially covers of other people's songs. You know, the, it was the beat of the British Invasion. You know, the Beatles and Rolling Stones and you know all, all those groups that that introduced the idea of of uh, a group writing their own songs. It was kind of a new idea at the time. So, uh, were there other films that you used, you know, sort of in, as inspiration, like soundtracks that uh, that you and David uh, were discussing, or anything that no, was inspirational? Not really. No, we just we had uh, we you know, we were looking at a hundred songs. We got it down to like fifty. I think we licensed about 50. <laughs> I'm not sure how many ended up in the film. Probably 30 ended up in the film. Uh, but we licensed like 50, and, uh, and we were struggling to cut it down to 50, you know, because we just have so many favorite songs that we wanted, you know, because when you're trying to represent an era like this, uh, you know, you're representing the Renaissance, okay? It's a, it's a Renaissance period, and you just can't possibly fit all the good stuff in. So... Um, you know, he, he had to narrow it down according to pretty much what the uh, characters themselves might be listening to and things like that. But um, pretty wide, a pretty wide variety, you know, th throughout that, that really gives you a sense of that, 
mid-60s period, yeah. Right, so the, the music in the film will obviously connect with those people who were there originally, but, you know, the the goal is always that 18 to 34 demo of, you know, younger uh, music fans. Does that excite you to turn on that next generation to this unbelievable music from the past? Well, that's why I started my radio show, you know, precisely that reason. Um, you can't hear this this music anymore, tragically. Um, there, there is no format for traditional rock and roll until I started one, you know, the underground garage format, um, which is now 24-7 on Sirius XM, as well as syndicated. But, but until that time, there is no place. If the Rolling Stones came out today as a new band, there's no format in the world that can play them. Okay, that's a fact. You know, there's no traditional rock and roll format uh, until Underground Garage. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a missionary thing that I am engaged in every day of my life. And David, uh, you know, in, in this film, very, very much so, uh, has the same sort of um, you know, ambition, which is to turn people on to the greatest music ever made, you know. And, and people do respond to it when they hear it. I mean, the young people respond the same way we did. You know, it's not quite as immediate because you can't go see the groups very often. Um, you know, only a few are still playing, unfortunately. But uh, other than that, you know, the, the music itself is, 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 is truly timeless. I mean, you know, that 20-year that period of around 51 to 1971 will be, I think, studied for hundreds of years to come, personally. Right, so as an extension to that... Um you know, if a kid came up to you with a $100 iTunes gift card and, and they said, well, I don't know what to do with this, but, you know, help me. W what are the essential albums that I should buy? Like, w what are some albums that you think, you know, from, from this period of time that's like, uh, hey, you got you to gotta have these. <laughs> like, you can't, you can't consider yourself a music fan without owning these albums. $100 is not enough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we could, if we could start. I mean, you know, you, you want to... Um, I think I would probably suggest uh, the same way we were turned on to the roots and the um, originators of rock through the British invasion. I would probably suggest that same way in. You know, you know, I would suggest start off with uh, the Beatles' uh, first album, the Stones' first album, the Who's first album. Uh, uh, you know. Uh, uh, now, depending on, you know, what what kind of taste you want to get into, if you want to get into soul music, uh, you know, you're going to need uh, The Temptations' greatest hits or, you know, Smokey Robinson's greatest hits. Uh, um, you know, uh, there's uh, uh, Bob Dylan's, uh, you know, you really need his first seven albums, but, it, you know, it's like The Stones, you need, really need the first ten albums, you need the first, you need all the Beatle albums. But, you know, start off with, um, with Bob Dylan, I would have people start off maybe with Blonde on Blonde or Highway 61. Um, the Stones, either the first record or 12 by 5, which is my favorite, their second album. Same thing with the Beatles, either their first record or their second record, which uh, the Beatles' second record was the first one we heard. Uh, it was actually called with the with the Beatles in in, in England, and we we got it as Meet the Beatles. Uh, it was told we were told it was their first album, of course, but it was their second. And at that point, um, 
yeah, I don't want to get too complicated here for you, but but basically the English records um, did not include a lot of singles and, and EPs. So there were there were three American albums usually for every two British. So that's why the configurations were all different. You know what I mean? Um, and now they're trying to straighten it out. I mean, we usually use the Beatles configurations from England as the official ones, but we use the Stones configurations from America as the official ones. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, because the two of the greatest Stones albums don't exist, <laughs> which is 12 by 5, the second album, and December's Children, the fifth album. All right. Yeah, those are two of the best albums. Now, they don't exist in England. Right. You know, so you know you tend to use the Stones as, as American versions uh, and um, the Beatles English versions, but well, anyway, uh, you know you, you pick one or two from the early days of of those guys, and uh, like I say, some soul music, um, you know, and, and then you get turned on to you know if you know if you want to get Muddy Waters' greatest hits, you could do that, you know, you know, or Howlin' Wolf's best of a lot of best of records would would, would probably. Start, get people started. Well, certainly know? lots of great recommendations there. Um, you mentioned the Stones, and uh, there's something very cool that you did with the soundtrack album, which is that you got Andrew Lou Goldham, their uh, original manager and producer, to write the liner notes, yeah. which I think is really cool. So t talk a bit about uh, you know how that came to be. Well, Andrew's one of my DJs on, on Sirius XM. Uh, he is really my my main DJ. He's, he's the star of, of, of the entire... Uh, of the entire station, I I, I I liked him so much as a DJ. I, I have him on every single day. Um, he's he's the morning he's the morning jock, and then he, and then he has a, a weekend show as well. Um, you know, it seems like his whole life has been. Yeah, he's just one of those guys that's just a, a really great, you know, raconteur. I mean, he, he you know he. Uh, I wanted DJs that were not necessarily DJs, but but more. First person could could tell first person stories, you know. I didn't want somebody telling stories somebody else heard or you know you read. I wanted guys who could actually tell stories first person, you know. I was there with Mick Jagger at this party, and you know, and this girl came in, and we all were trying to you know get with her, and uh, <laughs> and you know, and that turned out to be you know, Marian Faithful, who then recorded one of the Stones' first compositions as tears go by. Um, it's much more fun when you're hearing it first person, you know. Anyway, he'd become one of my best friends and and, um, and just one of, the, one of the most, probably uh, one of the very few uh, living legends uh, that, that actually uh, was there for the entire history of, of rock. Um, and, and he... Um, it's also interesting because he came from the fashion world, and there's a very, very deep fashion connection with early rock and roll, which uh, he talks about in his excellent books, which need to be, um, you know, he couldn't find an American publisher for the, these are the greatest rock and roll books like ever, okay, and he couldn't find an American publisher for them, which is really incredible. Uh, yeah, I think he just he just did his third. It's like a trilogy. And uh, fantastic, fantastic books talking about his early days with Mary, uh, Mary Quant, the uh, fashion designer, and, and how the entire English uh, rock and roll scene could have emerged from that fashion scene and, uh, and all that. Anyway, he's very, very learned, very, very wonderful sense of humor, very cynical, very funny. And, uh, and he wrote those, some of those famous liner notes uh, in his... Uh, Anthony Burgess, Clockwork Orange style, or, or you know, occasionally his, uh, 
you know, Allen Ginsberg, uh, Howell style, uh, you know, he was, you know, um, and, uh, yeah, so he wrote the Lionel Spinoff Fade Away, and, uh, we also had some fun, um, you know, we had to teach the band how to play, and and they learned how to play. I heard about this. Yeah. So you you actually sent them to like a rock and roll boot camp. Is that right? Well, it's, yeah, I sent them into my own studio and 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 brought in teachers and and they did five six hours a day, uh, and, and for 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 months for three four months whatever it was, and they learned how to play. I mean, they from from not knowing how to play literally, uh, three out of uh, a couple of the minor uh, characters could play um but the the main the main three stars had never played before never sung before and um you know i begged david to hire please find musicians that can act you know uh, and of course he didn't uh, you know uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we had to teach them from scratch and uh they learned. they learned. I mean, it was amazing. It, what took me like three years took them three months. <laughs> you know, I was like, "How's this happening?" But they they actually learned how to play, and and um, which is why it looks totally authentic in, in the film because it is, and and even better, it's them singing. Which um, maybe it's just me, but it's very rare that I see an actor singing in a in a film, and find it believable. I don't know why that is. It just it's, it's a hard thing to sort of. Fake, you know. Uh, usually, I, I guess, uh, you know, it probably occurs to the actor to, to have to have to do something to to you know to in other words, you have to act like a singer, you know, um, which is, I think, a common problem. And in this case, I mean, it was wonderful because it actually it actually is them singing, so um, it's it's uh, as authentic as, as as can be, and that was important to us. You know, uh, you have to believe. If you don't believe these actors are a band, then you know the whole film kind of falls apart. You know, so we were very, very, very. Uh, Makes very, it hard for the probably hard for the viewer to really believe and and get lost in that story. Then, right? Yeah, yeah. if you yeah, if it looks kind of phony, you know, I would think so. I mean, oh, you know, audiences can be great and just and dismiss these things, but in this case. You don't have to. I mean, it's just totally believable from day, from day one. And they, because they rehearsed and learned how to play for three, four months in my studio at, before we started filming, they started the show as a band. They, they started the movie as, as a band, you know, for real. And uh, and that really, I think that really paid off. It made, um, it, it was one thing David did not have to worry about, you know, and, and that's what you want to do as a, as a, as a, as a friend, as a as a music supervisor, as a as a producer, whatever you want to call it, um, you know your your main thing is to is to try and uh, realize the you know the the visionary's vision, you know, uh, help him realize the vision, and then and then you know let him concentrate on the on the things that are going to be uh, a, a lot more difficult. So so let's talk talk a bit about how you actually prepare for something like this because there there are billions of playlists out there but a really great soundtrack is a work of art and you know you obviously have the you know the experience of the underground garage and and you know all of those years playing with Bruce in, in the band and other projects you've worked on but how do you prepare for a project like this which is effectively trying to marry music up to specific scenes to 
to expand that emotion that's going on on the screen. Yeah. Well, my my whole life has just been you know a rehearsal for this movie, <laughs> basically. But but uh, you know you don't really know until you do it, which was part of the challenge of this particular licensing job because um, as you know or you know or, or, or may have heard, you know, when it comes to licensing music, usually it has to be very specific. You know, you, you're very specifically you're saying I, I want this song, and I want you know, 27 seconds of it from, you know, this point of the song to that point in the song for this scene, you know. That's just how it's done, right? Generally. And this was one of those cases where, you know, I'm calling up whoever, you know, Jeff Jones and, you know, the, the Beatles, you know, the the other Apple. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> and, or, 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 you know... Or, you know, or Jody Klein at Abco, or, you know, the Stones, or, you know, whoever it may be. And I'm saying to them, listen, you know, and these, and these guys don't give songs to anybody ever. You know, very, very rare. You know, or if they do, it's... it's very, it, Or it's very expensive very if expensive. they do. Very, yeah. very expensive. And, you know, we had a situation where we're going after 50 songs, you know, and we're trying to do uh, what's called Favorite Nations, which is mm -hmm. keep everybody, you know, around the same price and, mm -hmm. you know... And I'm and I'm saying to these guys, listen, um, we want a Beatles song, but we don't know which one. <laughs> we don't know where it's going to be exactly. <laughs> but trust me, it's right. going to be it's going to be cool, right. you know. And uh, you know, uh, and these guys were, you know, they would just laugh, you know, like this is. <laughs> If it wasn't for David Chase, man, you know, forget it. So it was really helpful that, that they really trusted him, and uh, it was a, it was a challenge, you know, to to, uh, to do that. Uh, but but you know, how how do you marry a song with an image? Uh, you got to try it. You know, you, you you know, you can you can you can guess. But we try. You know, we just tried a, a lot of things, and he's he's more even worse than me. You know, he he'll try. Uh, He'll just keep trying things, even after if after I feel it, something's working really great, you know. Well, let's just try this one more, you know. Right. Very critical of the uh, the process. Uh, yeah, he's he's as detailed as it gets, you know. I mean, really, he really is. I mean, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a I thought I was a fanatic. Uh, I'm I'm easy compared to him. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. Um, but we were a rather formidable duo because you know we're not not much you know we don't miss much you know and and uh you know we we had every single detail as close to it as we you know the, the right guitar at the right in the right ear the right guitar strings the right picks the right microphones you know i mean you name it we tried to be as 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 specific as we could be um and, and that's and that's not necessarily something the audience you know is gonna know you know you know you know, but we all you know, they'll probably feel it you know you know you always you always feel like the audience is gonna like it's just gonna look right it's gonna feel right you know and maybe you don't know why it feels right but but just you know when it's, when the details are exactly precise yeah. it just feels better you know and that's what you want to do you want you want to. Um, allow that the audience to take that trip you know that that's the whole the whole point of filmmaking isn't it you know transport somebody somewhere else you know and uh yeah 
So, so you wrote an original song uh, that the Twilight Zones, the fictional band in the uh, in the film that they perform called the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. What's the significance of uh, of that? And there was just the one song. So uh, what, what yeah. was that about? <laughs> it was uh, funny because I I, um, I had originally started it uh, as a, as a uh, demo. You know, just a just a new song I was writing, um, uh, and and David happened to hear it, uh, and uh, he says, "What are you, what are you doing with that?" You know, I said, "Well, I, I said, you know, I don't know if I'm going to finish it or, or what. You know, I'm just just something I'm writing." He says, "Well, you should finish that song because it really reminds me of the script uh, I'm writing." Uh, coincidentally had that same um, little bit of a timeline in, 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 the, in the song. It talks about, I think, Thanksgiving and uh, Christmas and New Year's, I think, I think it is. He said, you know, I have the same kind of thing in the script. You know? and, 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 he, and he just kept listening to the song and calling me, saying, listen, this song is just, I, I love this song. You know? so, I, I, so I finished it, and, um, and then... Uh, you know, I, I think there's a bit of a delay. I, I don't remember the time exactly went by, but but um, he said, "Well, I'm, I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish the script, and this is the first film I want to do." You know, and uh, you know, in the end, uh, he um, he made it the uh, you know the song that they write. You, you know, and and, and uh, very much describes a relationship with with this girl. You know. Um, and, and, you know, it turned out to be a, a wonderful sort of a synergistic moment there, you know? Yeah. The, the music of, of um, Bob Dylan is featured a couple of times on the, in the soundtrack. Um, in one instance, uh, the Twilight Zones, uh, they cover uh, subterranean homesick blues, um, but the album that that comes from, uh, which is um, Bringing It All Back Home from 1965, that's an iconic Dylan record with a number of really big songs, in addition to Subterranean Homesick Blues, Maggie's Farm, Mr. Tambourine Man, and It's All Right, Mom. But you selected She Belongs to Me, which is unusual because most times you hear the hits uh, you know, in these uh, soundtracks. So I'm curious, with all those great songs on that record, what was it about that one song, that one Bob Dylan song that made you say, that's the one we're going to select? You know, it, it was one of our favorites. You know, it was one of my favorites growing up. And David actually picked that one. And, um, and I just agreed 100%. It was just, it's just a beautiful song. Uh, you know, very, very, very uh, important song. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's a lesser, not necessarily a lesser known song than Maggie's Farm or uh, or anything else on that record. Um, it's one of those just great. You know, Bob uh, got known for his you know, reality-based lyrics, which would in fact change the world and, and change the world of pop music forever. In fact, uh, it was his lyrics coming from that blues tradition and folk tradition of, of more socially conscious type lyrics uh, that would influence the Beatles and Stones and, and, and between those three uh, create the art form of rock. I mean, that, that, that came directly from Bob's lyrical input, which was uh, 
you know, completely unprecedented. Um, up until Bob, literally the entire world was love songs and nothing but. Uh, so he got famous um, first as a completely changing folk music. Um, you know, they, they just radicalized folk music, uh, and they didn't—they didn't even like him uh, until his second album, and really didn't fall in love with him until his third album. The times they were changing, and then, uh, you know, just as the, the folk music world starting to get used to him, of course, he plugs in and <laughs> abandons them. Uh, uh, that Bobby's a character, uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway. Um, yeah, uh, he he. Um, you know, he's one of those very important artists that, that needed to be represented in the film. Obviously, you know, and that that song is just uh, one of his coolest songs. You know, because he 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 not only was writing socially conscious lyrics, but he turned out to be a fantastic writer of of, of love songs and and lost love songs and uh, frustration of love songs and uh, and anger. You know. I mean, his first, you know, hit single, uh, you know, like a Rolling Stone, is you know, uh, that sort of uh, unusual take on a on a on a on a love story, you know, that's not uh, not a happy one, you know, and it's all about anger and, and frustration, inventing that frustration, and that was just pretty much a, a new idea, you know. So, uh, but she belongs to me uh, is the other side. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, uh, another side <laughs> of Bob <laughs> that uh, uh, showed that he could write fantastic love songs, you know. Uh, you know and he later, you know, with Blonde on Blonde, you know, Just Like a Woman, and you know, things like that. So you know, there's all sides to that guy. That's why he's one of the greatest writers that's ever lived, you know. So following on, uh, on that question, uh, there are a number of other very well-known artists that are in the soundtrack, like the Rolling Stones and Van Morrison, the Moody Blues and the Rascals. And But similar w with Dylan, you've selected some really uh, interesting choices in not necessarily the radio hits that maybe everybody's used to. And I always find this really interesting about soundtrack creation is that you're selecting in many cases the ones that not everybody knows, but uh, you're sort of turning people onto their yeah, catalog. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it worked out well because we would be doing that anyway, okay? But it also helped, again, with the with the whole licensing of so many songs, um, you know, we started off the conversations with everybody saying, listen, we're not going to use the biggest hits, you know, which is not just a, 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 a financial consideration, but in, in fact, an artistic one. You know, we, we prefer things that are, you know, uh, we, there are some hits in there, obviously, but, but, um, but you know, sometimes with an artist like the Stones or whatever, uh, we're going to go a little bit to the, the, a little bit deeper and a little bit, uh, and, and that's just a, you know, that worked out well. And, uh, you know, it was just funny because uh, after we spent months and months working all these deals out and, you know, we were really going, everything was great. You know, we had everything really together, you know, and we were doing all these obscure songs and, you know, everything was just perfect, you know. He, he said, right, let me try one more. You know, he kept doing a new edit every week. I don't know. I saw it. I must have seen it 20, 25 times myself. And I only saw, I don't know, a third of them. 
Okay. I mean, literally, literally, it must have been like 75 <laughs> edits, right? And everyone had different songs and different things. And, you know, it's amazing. There's like three other films on the cutting room floor that are really good films also. Uh, anyway, so we're kind of like in the final stretch, man. We're kind of done, you know. And this whole, the whole movie thing is, a, is sort of a climbing Mount Everest as far as my ADD is concerned, okay? <laughs> uh, you know, I have a TV sort of, you know, <laughs> kind of metabolism, okay? You know, like, you know, I think of it today, I want to see it in six months, okay? You know, uh, but the movie thing is just a glacier, <laughs> glacially, you know? But we're getting there now. We're almost there. I can see the finish line. We're getting there. And he says, go one more edit. I come into the screening room. And on comes the riff from Satisfaction. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. All of our work is just went down the train. Because, <laughs> you know, we're, we're promising everybody we're not using, you know, your big songs, you know. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> that, was a, that was a really magical moment. <laughs> I was like, "No, please, God!" Uh, yeah, so it took another another month of uh, crazy, you know, renegotiating a lot of different things because of that, and it complicated. <laughs> well, you know, it's very cool, and uh, you know, we're all happy it's in, but it did sort of screw up the entire deal that we had worked on for six months, you know. Yeah. But that's David, you know what I mean? You got to know, you got to know him. You know, I knew him very well and, and, uh, and I was, you know, and I, and I was having conversations with, you know, Randy Spenlove from Paramount, who, who was fantastic and, and, and the entire Paramount team who, who, who couldn't have been more supportive, you know, but I, you know, I kind of was giving him a little heads up, you know, early on, like, this is going to be different. Mm. It's going to be a little different. Okay? Everybody just kind of relax because <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not going to be like, you know, you're used to. I mean, he's just not hes just not a typical, you know, artist. And, uh, you know, I happen, to, I happen to just, you know, from hanging out with him for 10 years, I kind of got a sense of, you know, he just breaks the rules. He doesn't care about the rules. He just, he's just going to do his thing. It's... Uh, He's creating things that are forever, and and if it's gonna be forever, it's gotta be right, you know. It's, you know that's his sort of attitude, and, and uh, you know, you go with it or you don't, you know. But uh, you know, everybody was very very supportive all the way through, and and uh, you know, it's great. Yeah, I want to ask I want to ask you about another interesting choice in the soundtrack, which is that the the soundtrack is period specific and and in all of the songs uh it seems are uh are correct for that period but there was one interesting choice hmm. which was the sex pistols cover of the modern lovers song roadrunner so i i, I want to know what what <laughs> happened there how well, how'd you pick funny, that why one? do you notice that yeah. <laughs> well i you know this is david again and, and david again david david's picking most of these songs and and it was and that was certainly his choice um it, th this is a moment in the film that that i really um will not talk about too much because because it's 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 something that david i think uh he wants to um you know he, he he's a he's 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 the kind of guy who who and, and, he, and you know, it was true with sopranos as well 
uh, he likes he likes people to think a little bit. You know, he, he likes to engage the audience. He he like he doesn't he doesn't like to underestimate you know the audience's intelligence. You know, he, he likes to he likes to treat the audience like like intelligent adults and and, uh, and and encourage them to participate in in this artistic interaction that that art is. You know, um, rather than the passive sort of lie back and here we're going to just spoon feed you whatever you know mm. um he that's just not him you know he just like uh, everybody needs to um participate here if you want to get you know if you want to really get everything out of this that, that we're putting into it you know then you got to you got to like you got to be part of it yourself um so it's something to invoke thought, as it did with you. <laughs> Obviously, it's yeah. working. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and I think it's up to, uh, you know, people to, to decide what that is about, you know, at, at that moment. Uh, obviously, uh, a very conscious uh, decision, you know, as you, as you would imagine. It wasn't an accident. Uh, so so he, he uh, you know, he intended uh, to, uh, to suggest something uh and what what that is is up to the audience to to uh, decide right um you touched on this a bit uh already but um i, I want to just dig a little bit deeper you know obviously when you are putting a soundtrack together for a film you are licensing lots of music that doesn't end up in the film and you've talked about david's multiple versions of you know uh, edits what that's not in the film would you have really loved to have seen in the film, but maybe because it was too expensive to license or there just wasn't enough time in the film? What's missing from it that, you know, if you had the extended director's cut, boy, would I love to see these songs in it? You know, I hate to say this, but I'm not sure what's, what's in it and what's not at this point. I, I think, you know, I gotta, I gotta, I have to like really see the film to make sure what's in and what's not. I've seen it so many times. I'm not sure what's in and what's not, what's not in. Um, I can tell you, I, 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 we didn't miss much, man. I mean, honestly, I, I don't remember, I'm trying to think now of him cutting out a scene or cutting out a, uh, a song that I really, really, uh, Miss, because we you know we had some, you know, we had some heavy discussions. I mean, you know, we we're not shy, okay? So we have some knockdown, drag out moments, you know, with every single song, you know, making sure that you know we really it's the right one, and and that we feel very strongly about it. Um, um, an awful lot got in. I got I got to tell you, I mean, we really got we really did well getting. Uh, Almost everything important in that I can think of, um, you know, she belongs to me. Got in, but Subterranean Homesick Blues um, uh, was one of the ones the band were playing. Uh, that uh, when I, and actually, Ride On Baby also got cut. Cut. That's right, uh, which was a cool one. Now they're on the soundtrack. Actually, uh, they're, they or, just they're just not in the film itself. Yeah, you're saying. yeah. So yeah. sometimes things will wind up on a soundtrack that, that maybe um, occasionally, uh, and I think in the case of those two. Um, so the band, the band, uh, the band did a, it's a cool version of Right On Baby by the Stones. It was a, ver a very rare, uh, unusual track that it was not a hit at all. And people, most people don't even know it, uh, uh you know, but no, we, uh, honestly, I, I'm really, um, quite happy. Uh, you know, there's nothing that's really, I'm really, 
I can honestly say I'm disappointed in. I mean, it's really turned out great, you know? All right, last question for you. What are you listening to these days that's inspiring you? Well, I've been I've been up to my neck uh, listening to every single Rascals album over and over and over because I've uh, I'm, I'm, we're bringing them back uh, in December for six shows. Uh, no one's seen the original group in forty years. Uh, the original four guys. Wow, that is fantastic. Yeah, and and, um, and I really wanted to um, do something special for them, so I wrote a kind of a. Uh, a, a hybrid sort of theatrical show. Uh, it's, it's part Broadway show, part jukebox musical, part uh, concert, where the original four guys will be performing. And then we have uh, huge screens um, um, where they narrate their life story and, and, and their career. And, and then we have actors acting as, as the rascals at various points in their career all mixed together live um, along with like 28 songs so it's more songs than they've ever played live so I'm, I'm investigating every B-side every album cut trying to get the coolest stuff in so that's what I've been doing these last uh, three months uh, pretty much exclusively you know, doing that and you know we're always managing to find some new things for the radio show every week you know there, there's um, you know, it's our 10th anniversary and we, we, we counted up the bands we've um, Introduced, we've introduced over 500 new bands, you know, in 10 years, and that's really the cream of the crop. I mean, there's thousands more out there, but uh, you know, we're quite proud of that, and and uh, you know, still find them. There's great bands out there. Now, why they're out there, okay, is you know, at this point, is 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 a bit of a mystery because there's no logical reason to be in a rock and roll band anymore, okay, which is why I wanted to support them even more you know i mean we, at least we it was hard for us but at least there was some infrastructure there okay there was a path okay difficult as it may have been there that does not exist in the infrastructure is gone and and there is no path and there is no reward at the end of the rainbow you know or whatever you know uh and yet we've played 500 new bands you know who are really good and they come home from work and they, you know, go to rehearsal or whatever. You know, none of them make a living playing rock and roll. I mean, the amount of, the, the amount that do, you can literally count on one hand. I mean, we broke the hives. We broke, you know, Jack White, we, we, the first one to play Jack, you know, and all his various white stripes and whatever. But other than, you know, a couple of bands, I mean, everybody else is working a, a day job, you know. And you, you just want to support that, you know. Uh, but anyway, they're out there. They're out there. So we, we find a new one every week. Uh, but lately, I'm just a uh, rascal mania. So <laughs> it's six shows in December. Well, it's very noble work. Yeah, well, well, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 you know, when they're that important, people know the music, but they don't know the band. You know, that's what happens after all these years. They broke up in 1970. They missed, they missed all the money, okay? Money didn't start till the 70s, right? So they what they did, and people have been throwing money at them ever since, and they would not re reunite. You know, that's how the, the, the kind of idealistic sort of '60s guys they were. You know, and are, and uh, and finally this artistic idea I think appealed to them enough to uh, to come back, and, and it's going to be a very exciting you know December. Uh, it's pretty soon. Oh my God. Very soon. <laughs> I got to go to rehearsal. Excuse me. <laughs> well, we've been speaking with musician, actor, radio host, and music supervisor for the film Not Fade Away, Stephen Van Zandt. Stephen, thank you. 
My pleasure.